Welcome to The Art of the Impossible, a podcast for the design and manufacturing industry that explores how you can leverage technology, processes, and people to make the impossible possible. I'm Asif Mogul, Senior Industry Manager at Autodesk, and each week I'll be joined by two experts from the design and manufacturing world to discuss their perspectives on the challenges our industry faces and share what they're doing to overcome them. From smart products, mass customization, digitization, supply chain resilience, and the convergence of once diverse industries, this podcast is for anyone that runs a design and manufacturing business who's interested in making things possible. You can subscribe by following us on Apple, Spotify, or via your favorite platform. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Now, we've talked on uh, previous episodes about the changing nature of demand and and the drive to personalize stuff, products for individual markets or even individual specific customers. And that's an exciting trend. But at the end of the day, all that stuff actually needs to be made. And that's the topic of today's podcast, you know, manufacturing flexibility. Or more specifically, how can SME manufacturers who might be traditionally set up for high volume production, adapt to the varying production quantities, product configurations, and even totally new products that this mass customization trend is driving without suffering the downtime and overheads that often come with such shifts in demand. Now, I know there are some companies that are referenced as being able to do this. I would say they're probably more of the super large organizations But what we want to look at is how can SMEs do it? How do we enable more of the SME sector to do the same? So to help me take on this topic, I'd like to introduce my guests for today, Tom Mongan, who's the General Manager at Subcon Laser Cutting Limited and President of the Coventry and Warwickshire Chamber of Commerce, and Dr. Adrian Houston, who's the Director of Euro Vacuum Products and a Royal Academy of Engineering approved visiting professor at Birmingham University's School of Engineering. So warm welcome to you both. Yes, good morning. Hello. Great. So Tom, perhaps you could start by telling us a little bit about your subcon laser. What do you do and what, what sort of projects do you get involved in? Yes, uh, subcon laser have been in the laser cutting uh, industry for over three decades. So 32 years, we're one of the first companies in the UK to use that technology. Uh, and, and, you know, people have this built-in thing about lasers being James Bond and, uh, and you know, it's Star Wars type uh, technology and, and whatever. And, and obviously lasers are, are very sort of adaptable uh, and, and have come a long way uh, over, over those uh, three decades. I've been at Subcon for 27 years. So, you know, I was pretty much in there at the beginning uh, and laser cutting um, technology appeals to all types of industry. Uh, It cuts all types of uh, materials. Um, So it's, you know, it's very flexible uh, in in what it can appeal to. And it's, uh, we do projects for automotive, um, architectural, rail, you name it, um, you know, w- we deal with all types of industry, Asif. Great, thank you. And Adrian, um, if perhaps you could tell us a bit about Eurovacuum and your role there. 
Yes, um, as, as you said in your introduction, I am a business owner and a female engineer. Uh, I run uh, Eurovacuum Products Limited. Um, we repair, distribute, service vacuum pumps and air blowers. Um, we, furthermore, we manufacture and install complete air moving systems such as centralized systems. Um, my, my company was founded on some very traditional ideas and it was born out of um, my own diversity um, issue that I faced. Um, so we, as, as Tom, we also work in a vast uh, array of industries such as food, plastic, medical, and automotive and each of these areas bring their own own challenges and very different challenges um, to complement my professional work I am a keen promoter and champion of women in engineering diversity and inclusion and I'm a Royal Academy of Engineering appointed VP at Birmingham University and a businessman who at Aston Uni and I was the cluster coordinator for the Women Engineering Society for 10 years. And these roles I'm extremely passionate about because uh, I do wish to strive to uh, a more inclusive and diverse um, industry. Great. Well, thank you. Sounds like we've got um, two awesome guests to have this discussion about. So, Tom, perhaps I, uh, I could sort of come to you with the first of the big questions. I wonder if people think of flexible manufacturing in a, in a kind of a too binary uh, way, I mean, maybe they think of it as the ability to shift quickly from one type of production, additive, to another type of production, subtractive, quickly. And, and it, it feels like it's a really narrow definition of the term flexible manufacturing. So I wonder if, from your experience, could you perhaps kick us off with giving us a bigger sense of what it actually means in practical terms? I think there's, there's a lot of confusion around... Uh, you know, the smart factory technology, industry 4.0. And it's, when you cut to the core of it, it's quite simple and quite basic in, in terms of when you're looking, you know, when people are looking at what companies can do in terms of quality, uh, reliability, flexibility and costs, and they're the main drivers. Uh, and I, I get, and I've seen through, nigh on 50 years within the manufacturing industry. I mean, when I started, CNC hadn't even been invented, I don't think. You know, it was right at the uh, beginning of, uh, of of that genre. You know, we were surrounded by copy lathes, milling machines. There were whole sections of grinders, millers, turners. And as we progressed, you know, I've been fortunate enough, to, as I say, to work within the laser industry for 27 years and seeing the technology that's come along with it, you know, from, from Trump, from Bistronic and all the major players in, in their uh, CRM systems and, and the ability to, if people just looked at measuring what they're doing in terms of uh, production, you know, are they making money? Because at the end of the day, if they're not, you're going to be losing it anyway. You kind of touched upon a few really interesting um, topics there. I think that, people might be assuming that flexible manufacturing is a choice between process A or process B. But what you talked about there, Tom, was outcomes. You talked about quality, reliability, flexibility, cost as, as kind of four things. 
And so I'm guessing the sense that, you know, uh, uh, flexible manufacturing is probably more about the ability to make a conscious choice about, I've got to manufacture these car parts at a very high quality on a, on a Monday, but by the end of the week, I need to maybe be able to shift to manufacturing lower quality parts or these are variables that I think a manufacturer needs to address based on what the customer and the outcome wants. I might want a high quality component that just never breaks, or I might want a mid quality component that's got, you know, kind of built in obsolescence. And it feels like what you're talking about is the ability for a manufacturer to respond to the customer needs, but then apply their manufacturing capabilities to those needs. Is that, is that if I sort of captured that correctly? Yeah. I mean, let's not forget, you know, going back 30, 40, 50 years, when, when I started, we, we had huge OEMs, you know, the, the, mm. the, the likes of Rover, the likes of uh, Massey Ferguson, uh, Rolls-Royce, uh, GC, all these major players, uh, and they were self-contained. And, and as industry fell in on itself uh, and uh, the lack of investment that was going on and manufacturing uh, in, in a downfall. So SMEs come more to the front. And let's not forget that, you know, all the OEMs that are left need SMEs. And it's SMEs that are investing the main in, in keeping the OEMs because they're not investing in the, in the like a laser cutting machine will cost a million pound. That's a huge investment, you know, mm. for, for people. And like at Subcon, we've invested in the very latest technology every because it changes so quickly. The, the OEMs are, are not making that investment. They're relying on people like us uh, and Adrian there uh, and people like us to to bring this to, to the fore. And I think people forget that. I, I think you're right. Um, and so that, that brings me to a question for you, Adrian. Um, Tom talked about SMEs actually making these investments. So aside from yourself, obviously, do you have examples of SME companies that you maybe work with that, that we might maybe not have heard before that you think is do, uh, doing this kind of flexible manufacturing really well? Any examples you could share? The SME that um, that springs to mind is not from my industry sector. She's uh, it's, a, it's a very young company, a startup business. And... Um, it was again born out of um, the owner's own diversity um, issues or challenges that she faced, and it's um, a, a body care uh, company that um, we do work with because um, they do require our products for their processes. Um, however, she um, she started her business under the very challenging circumstances of the pandemic. And uh, she fully embraced the um, the sustainable development goals that uh, we <laughs> is becoming the new status quo. And the company is named Cosmetics, and they're also based in Worcestershire, and they manufacture plastic-free, ethical, and sustainable beauty products. Um, these products are extremely gorgeous. <laughs> I converted all my family onto them, but at the same time, as I said, um, with with the um, SDGs, she's an extremely she's an extremely passionate person and who cares deeply about sustainability and environmentally friendly products so um you 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 two talked about um 
flexibility, flexible manufacturing. And I always think that SMEs seldom have, at least these, these areas seldom mentioned. Everybody thinks about the opportunity for the industry as a whole. But I think um, we forget uh, that SMEs thrive very well in this era, despite the economic outlook and the impact of the coronavirus pandemic, because we are smaller and we are more flexible and more dynamic. I, I think what I would like to add also that um, while technology and the fourth industrial revolution is driving innovation, um, we also realise that our customers are changing and they're evolving very quickly. They require real-time information on their investment. And, um, so, and, and we're obviously trying to offer them sustainable products. We want to offer them higher standards and very customised um, products and fast delivery and cheap production. So we don't just focus on the technology. We have learned to focus on what our customers require. And this drives us, this drives our, our um, innovation, therefore bringing sustainability into our business. So some good uh, Christmas present ideas there from your colleague that you referenced. So, so Tom, I think you and both uh, both you and Adrian sort of have, have mentioned the word kind of agility in terms of the SME. It feels like that um, an SME does have uh, an advantage over larger organizations. Maybe they've got the ability to get closer to their customer and, and understand what their customers really need, to sort of the things that Adrian was talking about. And they have potentially the agility to respond in a way that large organizations may take longer to do. So if that's kind of a definition of agility and flexibility, do you think that's enough? Or do you think we could actually push for even, even further levels of agility in an ideal world, what do you think we should be striving for in the SME sector, uh, above and beyond the sorts of things that we've just been talking about? Well, I think uh, as AI advances, it levels the playing field between uh, OEMs and SMEs uh, because uh, each organisation has the ability to get into uh, and use the technology. So technology is is, is the leader in, in in all of it, uh, in terms of whether you, um, your production control systems, you know, um, whether you're a large organization or a small organization, you want to keep control. Uh, and as Adrian said there, you know, uh, you're adapting to your, uh, your customers' requirements and they want to know um, where their part is, when they're going to get it, um, Quality is, we'll say, is a given. Uh, so it's it's important that your production control systems are, are, are up to speed. You know that there are some great software uh, companies developing these now. I mean, we've gone from, uh, for, in my time, we've gone from the production control cards that went out with a with a job. You know, we're producing thousands of various jobs. You know, every week. So people would be phoning up. Where's my part? And you're trawling through these job cards that are out on the shop floor, where all of a sudden now you can just click on a screen and say, oh, yes, that is on machine, blah, blah, blah. That is, you know, the materials there. It's going to be cut then. So you're going to have that tomorrow. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a simple and, and that's what they want to know. 
So there, there's a sense of you know um, a greater leveraging of technology, even simple technology, uh, and, and to more advanced stuff like you know AI or machine learning. I think some people refer it to. And I picked up the sense of maybe using some of that tech to to drive a bit of automation into some of the systems and processes that SMEs have. Absolutely, and we were involved in a uh, for a, for an automotive company, certainly within our industry, laser was always seen as a a low volume, low to medium volume in both two-dimensional and three-dimensional aspects. Uh, And we were involved in a high high volume project that uh, with the advancement in in laser technology, you know, we were were producing thousands and thousands of parts a day. So the repeatability, everything that associated with say, press tooling, for instance, because there is going to be a, a cutoff point between what's going to be cost effective. But uh, with the advancements within the technology uh, ha- has made the laser industry, um, certainly with the, the attitude we now have, we're all, you know, everything's instant. Everybody wants stuff and they want it yesterday. There's, there, there's, there's no lead times, you know, gone are the days where you could, you could have, months possibly year to design something everybody's got this uh, uniqueness they want this and it's personalized part although it isn't it's still must produce but it makes them feel good if if they feel it's personal to them yeah and and and, and these are the sort of things that manufacturing uh, you know we're having to deal with on a, on, a, on a daily basis Thank you, Tom. So let's move on to sort of the second of the, of the big questions in terms of some of the challenges um, faced by SMEs. So Adrian, some of the things that we've talked about don't feel easy to do for an SME. So from your experience and the experience of maybe the people that you've both worked with, what are some of the common challenges faced by uh, organizations when they say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get more flexible in my manufacturing? Where, where are some of the common pitfalls? As somebody who's... Uh quite dynamic in, in, in their approach, I, I feel that the common um, or the most challenges come from, um, as an engineer personally, to understand and to, to always maintain the responsibility of, of my company's finances. It is, it is a completely different profession and um, being a, a business owner, um, you have to be fully aware of of uh, of the business uh, um, business uh, financial health, um, as if it is not healthy, um, it will fail. So um, I think the really really important that training is offered, and we can um, cross. We can train in many different areas. Uh, so not just as an engineer and offer or concentrating on our engineering skills, but also concentrating on finance, um, health and safety. And with with Brexit just around the corner, I think we all had to become customs <laughs> experts. And uh, I'm sure we all done the HMRC compulsory um, Brexit course. So it's um, so for me personally, the biggest uh, challenge that uh, would be is the skill shortage uh, including my own uh, skills gap to understand the financial responsibilities and the company's finances the the other challenge which is very similar is um, the skills shortage Tom mentioned that everybody wants everything instantly which might come 
as a surprise to us, or we're moving our generation, certainly not as receptive to this idea. Certainly the millennials and the, 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 the youngsters who are coming through um, and graduating out of university, they're very familiar with that um, notion and they, they understand and they can deliver, a fair, they can be very dynamic and very agile and, and work work on the pressure really well because they want everything instantly. So while it might be an issue for us, uh, I think for the new generation, it, uh, for the generation Z, sorry, not the millennials, it, it is not a problem. It's, it comes as a second nature. However, we, have, we are facing a skill shortage in engineering and we need to train more engineers. So that, that is part of my drive as a female engineer to, um, to increase the visibility of female role models. Gosh, there's so much in there to, to unpack. I think we could have a whole episode just on this topic. But what I heard you sort of saying there, Adrian, was skills, your own skills. So an engineer becoming a business leader, um, having to stay up to date with the sort of changing necessities of doing business. So you talked about finance and you know customs and you know, all those sorts of things. We won't mention the B word. Um, and then generally the skills of your organization. So engineers perhaps rounding off their engineering knowledge with some broader skills. And dare I say, a more diverse set of skills as well as a diverse set of engineers. And it, it's it's not surprising skills always always comes up in, in any conversation we have. So you're sorry, you were going to say something. That's right. And um, when I'm at the university, I've tried to focus and offer them um, training or, or information on soft skills because we found that with our student interns that while they might be extremely good um, engineers, they're lacking soft skills so to fit into an organisation. And can, can you give us an example of, of just one of these soft skills? That's very, very um, interesting. C- customer service. So right. <laughs> the language of how we speak to our customers, how we speak internally, how how we make everybody feel included, how we include ourselves in a conversation, and uh, and and this is this is this is we we need to listen to what other people tell us, um, and then when we listen, we can analyze and collect data and deliver accordingly. Hmm. So I, I I I like to. Um, discuss uh, the soft skills, the customer service, body language, language, and now the the behavior of being on 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 Zoom and Teams meeting because that that's changed completely. We all had to yeah. adapt to, uh, to to these online platforms, and I found them hard at the beginning. Uh, even though even my yoga class is on you know is on a Zoom, and and uh, it, it's something that we have to live with. But again, with the new generation coming through, for them, it's not a problem. <laughs> this is day-to-day yeah, yeah. life. So we need to give these, these young professionals more credit and not just uh, always focus on their negative behavior of partying on the lockdown. <laughs> they, they are extremely dynamic and they focused on their education. Okay, yeah, great conversation there. So Tom, for companies that get this, this definition of flexible manufacturing, which we've been discussing so far, for companies that get it right, it seems there's just a lot of upside, a lot of benefit. And you know, we talked earlier about, you know, for example, a laser machine tool of circa a million pounds. So if it's not just purely about the production equipment that you have, um, what sort of investments are we, are we talking about for an SME to get 
invest in getting towards a greater level of flexibility? Are we talking you know, millions and millions of pounds, do you think? Or is it tens of thousands? Or is, is, there, is there a guide that you could sort of share with us? I, I think we have to rewind a little. You know, I, I did talk uh, about the cost of the, the laser systems and whatever. But it's like everything. Buying a laser machine will not make you a, you know, good at that particular uh, thing. So, picking up on uh, Adrian's point there, you you need you need the skills. You still need the technical skills to go with it. You know, I, I've seen uh, time and time again companies who what they bought. You know, I talk about laser because that's really my industry. So, I've seen them go out and invest huge sums of money in the very latest technology and promote themselves and market themselves as they've got this 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 all singing, all dancing uh, machine. But then uh, they haven't given much thought process into uh, the backup for, for the gases that's required, for the programming, uh, for the use and, uh, of, of the operators that's going to 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 uh, to run the system and even going back to well how do i quote that job you know i've got this machine but i have to be able to price the product that's coming off it so uh, if it's part of a multidiscipline project so you'll take a piece of metal that comes in you'll laser cut it you'll fold it you'll machine it um you'll powder coat it and you'll dispatch it. So it's it's all part of the process. So you, you need, and Adrian's picked up some great points there, you know, and it's understanding the concepts of the whole package that goes with it and, and, and the training um, that goes with it, that, that is lacking. And this is not this is not unique here now at this present moment in time. I, you know, I've been saying this since the demise of the major uh, OEMs within this country, where you know I, I personally served a technical apprenticeship at Alvis, so we had the theory, uh, but we also gained the practical knowledge. You know, I've seen I've seen university students come out. We've had university. Uh, graduates come in the programming department and they've got the theory and they're great in the theory, but they lack the practical knowledge. That, and it was like we're having to retrain them in what industry requires rather than the generalised theoretical that goes with uh, the, the university education. Uh, and uniquely, like Adrian said, the ability to talk to, to to customers so some of the soft skills that uh, adrian absolutely about. yeah it, you know that, that that was missing but so um it's not just a case of uh, having having the best machines having having all this great equipment you 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 need to look at the backup that goes with it and, mm. and uh, what i again what i have found with the uh, manufacturers of these certainly within the laser machines is they will offer a two-week training course or whatever a two-week training school, you may as well go whistling in the wind. You know, it's that's not going to make you proficient in, in that industry. That's almost a sense of if I if 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 I not that I ever would or could afford one, but if I could buy a, an Aston Martin or a Ferrari, and um, the dealership said, um, "Is a one-day course in how to drive the car," it doesn't actually make me a racing driver, does it? It just just means I've sat behind the wheel. 
<laughs> and so what you're talking about there, Tom, is a, maybe a similar analogy in terms of getting the tech is a tiny piece of the puzzle. Getting the training to apply the technology is another piece of the puzzle, but still it, it, it you know, it doesn't feel like the whole solution. So um, I don't know if either of you are fans of like cooking shows or Bake Off. I, I'm not a Bake Off fan, but I am a MasterChef fan. We hear on every single podcast we've we've recorded, we hear the same themes coming up, leadership, skills. And um, so if we take the topic of flexible manufacturing, we imagined it was like a cake or a dish or something we, we were baking or cooking, and the raw ingredients were leadership, skills, hardware, and software, four raw ingredients. Adrian, what, what do you think the perfect mix of those ingredients would be to enable SMEs to really just shoot through the any kind of challenges and boundaries they've got? You can blend them up in any percentage you like. Oh, I love the question. Uh, although I'm not a big cake eater, but uh, and, and my family will tell you that I'm great at cooking and baking, but my presentation skills are not the best. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you, I feel that the fundamentals is um, the hardware, and to have good, obviously, the software. If you don't have good hardware, you you know you need your software won't run, and with that your your it will impact on your company's success. So these are fundamentals, and this is the infrastructure. Um, I think definitely leadership is that's something that binds the business and drives the business forward. And um, in in an SME, I think we talk about management. We, we, I always feel that people strive to talk about the industry general and the large OEMs and the blue chip companies and SMEs don't get the opportunity. So really grateful for this podcast today because we can really, really uh, discuss how an SME reacts. And so in, in, in an SME, I think a leadership is very different from a large corporate, corporate company where the leaders would talk, uh, would concentrate on long-term company vision. Equally, in a startup business, you're very hands-on, focus on the day-to-day -day management. So as an SME, I feel we fall right in the middle and uh, we need to be dynamic uh, in order to set the company in the right direction. So I feel definitely the leadership, so while we have the hardware and software as a foundation, Leadership is something that we will we bind together, and without skills, we can't have a healthy work environment, a collaborative and a productive environment. So, um, <laughs> the the percentages, uh, I leave that with you. I, I normally just have a little bit, of things, <laughs> a little bit of that, <laughs> and then yeah. hope for the best to come out. But uh, I feel without being a, a great leader, a great motivator, and somebody who um, who inspires others. Uh, it, it will just not work. But mm, mm. I think I just want to add another ingredient, which is customer service and customer focus. So that would be the cherry on the cake or the icing or the hundred thousands, because without customers, we don't have a business. So we must ensure or we focus on what our customers want and that is the priority is to ensuring that we deliver um, the customer service that they desire and they want. Fantastic. So, so Tom, I'm gonna um, we're gonna serve you up. So, uh, Adrian and I have just just cooked these two dishes, and you are now the head judge on MasterChef. 
And um, one dish is basically a company with excellent leadership, excellent skills, and excellent focus on customer service, but just average hardware and, and technology. And the other one is a company with the best hardware and technology that money can buy, but with average leadership, average skills, and an average focus on customer success. Which of those two companies do you think is going to succeed? That's a good question. Undoubtedly, you're, you're going to need good leadership. Hmm. You're going to need either, either one, uh, because I'll throw something else in, and that's understanding your market and having a good team around you. You know, you may be the brightest star in the sky, but you're not going to be an all singing, all dancing, all knowledgeable person. So you're going to need a good team around you. You know, to me, that, 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 that's crucial. The ability to communicate, you know, so everything that Adrian said there, you know, I, I thought was, you know, uh, very poignant and, and very real. And having empathy as well and understanding your, your own team's needs, you know, what makes a good what makes a good leader is having the empathy uh, and being able to delegate, if you like. You know, the chances of me standing there running a laser machine is pretty remote, but uh, I, that, I'm not employed to run a laser machine. You know, so it's that person is just as important within the team environment as, as myself. So... Either one of the scenarios you put forward, if if they have uh, that backup, what I've just said, good leadership, uh, a good team around you, having the em empathy, uh, understand your market uh, and the ability to communicate, whether it's the person that's helping keep your establishment in tip-top condition to your best salesperson. Great. Uh, again, those were slightly... Challenging questions, but we like to ask challenging questions here. So um, let's let's kind of move it on to the last of the big questions that we want to debate with both of you. And um, that is uh, the sort of the fantasy scenario we use at the end of every podcast is imagine the, the, the two of you are um, in charge of the entire UK, well, I even say global manufacturing strategy. And anything you say is going to happen. And we sat with the, the world's SMEs who are listening to you both. And they're saying, Tom, Adrian, where should I, I want to get greater manufacturing flexibility built into my organization? Where should I start? Literally the first thing, what should I do? So Adrian, perhaps we could uh, ask you that question first. Determine the challenges and the risks to the business. That, that, that's the key. Which is interesting because we're we know we're not we're not sort of saying hey let's just let's just go and buy tech. We're actually saying let's understand what the challenges and the risks are first. So I think that comes back to your leadership question uh, and your comment. Definitely. Okay. Thank you. And then Tom, same same question to yourself. Where would you start? Well, it's hard to it's hard to go past what Adrian said there. Really, you know, because risk and determining what the consumer needs is going to be pretty, you know, this is an ever-changing environment and the challenges put forward to manufacturers, again, it's something, it's the ability to adapt 
to changing circumstances and the criteria that we have to meet in terms of health and safety, what's going to be environmentally friendly. Uh, and them sort of challenges is, is going to be unique for, for us going forward. If we can meet that and cap that, then, you know, the future is going to be pretty awesome. <laughs> it's, it's one of the most exciting things about this whole industry, isn't it? I mean, the potential we have in the design and manufacturing sector to, to really drive some dramatic change solve some of the world's most challenging problems. I'm on a bit of a soapbox here now, so I'm, I'm just going to get off it. But I think it is one of the most motivating things about, about the industry. Well, that's why engineering is such an exciting career. It's the best career. So anyone listening to this, if you have people in your family that are considering a, a job option, please don't get them to go on to Britain's Got Talent or X Factor. Get them to do engineering instead. Well, we definitely, you know, when you think about what makes an engineer, we all very proud and we all very, we like solving problems. And, you know, engineers solve, solve a lot of problems falling into the sustainable development goals, which is hmm. a new status quo. So um, I think uh, extremely great time to, to be an engineer and, um, and what I would add is that we need we need to identify uh, the pushbacks um, and bring them on board and buy and make make sure that they buy into into it, whether it's technology or whether it's um, you know it's an objective. But uh, I think we we all have to be flexible, which this year has taught us and it accelerated the agility and thrusted us forward with the digitalization. So engineering has become even more global <laughs> than before. Definitely. I think yeah, we, we need, and this is crucial, you know, we need joined up thinking from the people in charge. And they have to understand what's involved because, to me, I've seen it so often, we get manufacturing strategies coming out from government that is, uh, is only... Uh, uh, the worth is only as long as that person, individual, stays in power. I've been involved in some. I've been down to uh, when Vince Cable was in. You know, I, I've been down and involved in some of the strategies that had disappeared with him. You know, and then somebody else comes along and brings out a strategy, and they're just sound bites. You know, manufacturing now it is an exciting time. We are faced with uh, such challenges. Uh, reducing carbon emissions, and the UK are, are doing and trying to do well. But again, we're whistling in the wind if the likes of China and America, and they're just giving it, they're playing sound bites and whatever. But if without the joined up thinking, you know, where, where does that leave us? You know, we're not big enough as, as a nation to make a huge impact. We can start and we can look at ourselves, but then we have to be careful that we're actually not going out on a limb and, and lose because if everybody's not following, what's the point? Okay, so um, we uh, are now at the uh, stage in the podcast where I've got to try and summarize all the pills of wisdom that you've both uh, shared with us. So here I go. I'm going to try. So manufacturing flexibility. I think that potentially there is um, a misconception that it's just purely process related it, it could be about robots or cnc machine tools and then it's a choice between one to another and then reconfiguring my factory and, and perhaps that's way too limited uh, a definition what i've understood from you both is it seems to be more about 
an SME understanding their market or their customer, having a really close connection with their customers and having that focus and understanding the definition of the customer's value. So to the customer's value, quality, quantity, cost, sustainability, the list could go on, but we kind of need to understand value in the terms of the customers and figure out a way to organize our business so we deliver that value in potentially time skills that are, uh, would have, have once been thought impossible. So that's that's kind of our lofty, more than Wikipedia definition of it. It's challenging for SMEs to, to kind of adopt that if they don't have the right sort of leadership skills, culture, that kind of stuff. But the steps it sounds like that anybody listening to this podcast needs to take is to have a broader view from leadership, have a more diverse, open perspective on skills, where are you finding your expertise and what skills you value. There's the hard skills of literally engineering, but there's the soft skills of communication and some of the other things that we talked about. And can you assemble all those people together in a culture that supports it, itself to learn and adapt? And if you throw that kind of you know human potential at the challenges and the risks your industry is facing, perhaps that is a way to, to start getting on this kind of road of manufacturing flexibility. So I think those are the three takeaways that I've, I've taken from that. Um, Tom, did you have a comment? Yeah, I, I, SMEs, uh, they will have a budget. So there'll be budget constraints. So uh, the whole thing, as you've summed up there, understanding what is available within your budget constraint to get the best that you can from what you can purchase what you can buy in terms of complementing your exit you know whatever industry you're in whether it's machining whether you know you're you're in powder coat whatever genre you're in and whatever is coming to market a can i afford that if i can't what can i do that's going to make me more cost effective so i can you know meet the demand of what my customers want because I forget a lot of people deal with they deal with people they're not dealing with systems people like dealing with people and I think for, you know where we are now it would be great sitting around a table face to face rather than looking at you guys on a screen uh, and getting the warmth and, and and the ability to communicate face to face um, and I, I, I fear perhaps you know everybody we're going to lose that ability you know, there's nothing like going and having, call me old fashioned, a look, see, you know, you're going to a customer and you build a relationship with them. You know, as I say, I've been in this business for nigh on 50 years. I, I still have friends, you know, that serve my, serve the time with me and we're still friends and they're still within industry and they've, they've got good positions within industry um, and we help each other. You know, so I think that's, you know, all that is, You've got to throw that into the mix as well. So Yeah, which is, I think, maybe part of the sort of culture. Have a culture of where you value human interaction. Have a culture where you're valuing helping each other and sort of stepping outside of this kind of, oh, wait, that's not my job function, to actually the success of the organization is part of my role and sort of taking that broader view. We can't deny that technology is advancing at such a rate. You know, you've, you've, you've only got to go into, um, say, a, a car manufacturer and, and see you know, robots have taken over where people used to be, you know, um, a recent visit to, to Land Rover. Uh, and it, you've got to look for a, a good while before you actually see a person. You may see the odd programmer dotted about or whatever, but 
the actual things, you know, they're machines doing it, whether it's spot welding, whether it's moving things about. It was amazing just to see how robotics are taking over. So I'm going to add, don't forget the human factor to kind of our, our, our list of summary. And um, sadly, we've come to the end of our, our um, episode today. Um, so I hope that um, if you're listening, you've found a, a golden nugget in what Tom and Adrian have sort of shared and that you can apply to your business literally today or tomorrow. So I want to thank you both, Adrian and Tom, for, for joining us today. It's been a great, great conversation. So thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. No problem. And thanks to our audience for listening. And we'll talk to you again on the next episode. So thank you and bye-bye.